The world around us is changing faster than ever before. From automation, artificial intelligence, big data, geolocation, to every aspect of how we work and live. This includes data. Welcome Welcome, to Data Gurus Podcast. Our mission is to bring you a real-life perspective on what's happening in the industry and how successful companies and individuals in this niche navigate through the sea of change. Encouraging you to be bold, be brave, and be fearless. Let's navigate the data ecosystem together. Welcome to the Data Gurus Podcast. I'm so excited to welcome Charlie Aliri, who is the CEO of Imperium. Welcome, Charlie. Thank you, Seema. Thanks for taking the time. You know, Imperium has such a vital role in our industry and has been around for a long time. Can you give us a little bit about your background? You're not the traditional MR person. (laughs) Yeah, that was actually one of the questions we went through when I was thinking about joining the company. We talked about that, right? In the sense that One of the things I think the biggest opportunity that exists within Imperium is because of its long history and customer base and market position where, you know, a big percentage of the folks in the space use Imperium. We have tremendous visibility and access to a huge amount of data. And when I mean huge, billions, right? So anytime you get to use the word, the letter B instead of M, you're really talking about lots of data, right? And my background comes from an environment where I've started and innovated around using data to create new solutions and bring them to market and make them commercially viable. And so there's just, that was the thing that was super exciting about coming into this space is there was tremendous amounts of data and there's lots of practices that I could bring from my previous experience I think would be relevant here. That sounds interesting. I always think it's nice to have different perspectives infused into our industry that we can learn from. Just for our listeners, can you give us a little bit of background as to what Imperium does and its role in the industry? Uh, It's a great question. So the way that I think sometimes people look at us, you know, we're the relevant ID company. Mm -hmm. And because that is the solution that I think a lot of folks associate with us, we actually have a full suite of solutions and we're adding to those. And I'd love to talk about those as we get into the conversation. But really our goal is to help our customers with the data quality issues that they're dealing with. And you know, data quality in the market research space a lot of time aligns to, you know, people that are intentionally misbehaving, right? That are intentionally providing bad data because there's an incentive to do so. And so, you know, we call that fraud, right? So a big part of that is really just helping our customers, not just, you know, preventing overt fraud, you know, which are individuals as well as machines trying to reap rewards that they shouldn't, as well as just, you know, helping them with bad data, right? So there are folks out there that maybe are, you know, trying to, again, still game the system, but aren't necessarily overt fraud, I mean, we want to help people catch that as well. So tell us a little bit about the product suite, just to give us a little bit more to dig further in terms of what sits under, not even just relevant ID, but the different features or offerings that you have as it relates to data quality. Yes. If you look at, you know, we really do look at the holistic experience, right? So one of the things, again, we talked about relevant ID, that's the solution that we focus on the device. Mm Mm-hmm. 
We're, we're making sure that that device isn't coming back multiple times trying to take a survey. I mean, so a big part of that is the digital fingerprinting and deduping that you hear a lot of people talk about. And I think is the first level of defense that I think is universally accepted is something you have to do, right? But then on top of that, there's other points of indicators and data points that can be used to then start to triangulate to get a better level of precision around that, whether that person's really fraudulent or not, right? And so a big part of that is, you know, is that person who they say they are. So when they are going through registration, you know, are they coming from a bad area that is suspicious of fraud traditionally? Are the answer is the way that they are typing in their responses into either name, address, phone number, you know, that date of birth, uh, so forth. Are they cutting and pasting? Are they look like bots? And then, you know, is that information accurate, right? So we have, you know, products we call RegGuard as well as RegGuard with the historic product people know us for is Verity, which actually then verifies. So if you think about that product, there's two parts of it. One is making sure that they aren't bad and the other one is verifying they're good. So two different levels, if you will. And then the other part is just pure behaviors, right? There are behaviors around the community that we see in our data. That's really the first solution that we were able to create by mining the, all this data that we have access to and seeing behaviors across all our customers and being able to indicate that that person or that respondent's quality is probably not going to be very good or it's outright fraud. And then, you know, the other solution that people know us for is to be able to, to analyze the actual behaviors in open-ended responses. You know, are they speeding through? Are they cutting and pasting? And most recently, being able to do contextual awareness to say, does that answer actually apply to the question being answered? So, you know, again, that's a whole lot more than just, you know, digital fingerprinting and a whole lot more technology that really we've been investing in over the last several years. I like that phrase, contextual awareness. I don't think I've heard it in this type of conversation. Tell us a little bit more about that. Well, you know, what that is, I think that traditionally you know, a lot of folks would be utilizing, you know, humans to look at all the responses. And what we can do is real time, actually look at that response and make and kick it out or give a score to give folks an indication that they should not allow that data to get into their systems because it is highly suspicious. It looks like it was cut and pasted. It looks like the same phrase that's been used 5,000 times and by the way, that's a real statistic, and or more importantly, by analyzing the text to see if it actually applies to the question, right? So if I ask you a question about going on vacation, is it really about going on vacation or did somebody just put in a whole bunch of text? Got it. That's powerful. That's very powerful. You actually can find out, I mean, to your point, it doesn't always have to be a machine. It could be somebody who's just not paying attention. It's 100% true, right? And what that is indicative of, and we'll kind of talk about this, ranges of this, right, where you can clearly see that, you know, that somebody, that this is not a person, it's a machine, right? But part of this is, it's really the triangulation of all of those solutions I was talking about that is most critical, right? Because you could maybe trick the system to get past one check, but, you know, if that IP address is being utilized and there's a hundred thousand surveys taken on that in the last 48 hours, 
chances are that if that answer looks suspicious, those three triangulations, yeah, that's fraud. Right. It's a game of inches, right? It's putting things into perspective and not necessarily having one deterministic factor that says this is fraud. You just can't, right? Because look, the fraudsters, right? There's an incentive here to misbehave, right? And people, the barrier to technology to be able to try to do some of these things is, you know, gets lower and lower. And so you need to be very, very vigilant and use as many tools as you possibly can, obviously within the confines of cost, right? I mean, that's the other issue, but to be able to uh, prevent those things. And that cost comes in lots of different ways, right? The precision is the thing that I care about most. Look, you can stop all fraud, right? Just don't let any answers through. (laughs) (laughs) I know. It's the precision, right? It's making sure that you're getting the right answers into your data. And what we're all about is stopping it before it gets in because I think there's an exorbitant interest rate on bad data once it gets into your systems. So true. Right? The longer it sits there, the more it costs you. It wreaks havoc. So Charlie, I know that Imperium, not specifically, but Reimagine was acquired by Dyneta and Imperium was part of that portfolio. Tell us, how does it all work internally at Dyneta? Well, actually, I, so I was relatively new to the business and I was super excited about the opportunity to you know, really dive into this data and create some new solutions and help our customers, right? So look, anytime you have new ownership, you're always concerned, right? Is there going to be the same view of this asset that the previous owners believed? And, you know, will I be able to realize the vision I had for the business? And so, you know, one of the things I'm happy to report is that they do share, you know, Dynata absolutely shares, you know, the vision of what I see in the business as well as what the previous ownership believed was valuable in Imperium. And it wasn't just in to some degree in you know the actual technical solution that it provided to each of our customers, but it was the opportunity to have a truly independent source that you could point to to say, yes, I am serious about my data quality, and you know this company will verifies all the things that we're doing because we leverage them in this process. And key to that is being independent, right? And so you know not truly operating this as a separate business, you know within Dynata being you know, having access certainly to the resources that affords is wonderful, but being truly independent, all data, all solutions, all technology, we're truly treated as a separate entity. Okay. Well, that's good to hear. I know there was a lot of concern early on, you know, and clamoring of saying, wait, what does this all mean? Is it that, you know, this is shared across the entire company? And is there really, you know, this kind of independent view or operation that, you know, doesn't share, you know, specific data among about different companies in the space? Very, very, very serious about that issue, because it is so critical to that independence. Okay. It is something that, you know, during the acquisition processes, it was paramount to every one of our conversations. And you can talk to anybody in the business and they would all, I think, echo those same things. And, you know, frankly, from a personal standpoint, you know, if I was just going to be basically a product manager, it's just not something I'd want to do. Sure. Right. You know, what I really came here to do is, you know, create, you know, a really impactful business. And that's the big part of my background, right? It's, 
yeah, innovating around technology, but it's actually more around executing a go-to-market to deliver this, not only to the market research space, but outside the market, you know, certainly lead generation deals with the same kind of dynamics, right? They're still worried about lead gen, just like everybody else. I mean, data quality and also at the same price point, right? That's the key here. I think that, you know, I give Marshall, my predecessor and creator of Imperium, a tremendous amount of respect for. He was able to create a business that not only addressed the technical issues of his customers, but also addressed that cost element. That's a key, key part of this industry that is, you know, really a unique in a lot of ways. So what does that mean? What specifically does that mean? Is it that, you know, Imperium is able to address data quality at a cost-effective price point? It's really those two or three elements of that, right? Okay. It's, you know, one of the things that I think I hear constantly when I go to trade shows and when I talk to our customers is that they have two very strong competing pressures from their customers, right? One is quality, right? You know, getting hammered to make sure that their quality is at the the highest level. Completely understand why a customer would want that, right? The other part though is cost, right? You know, there's pressures on them to deliver that cheaper. Plus they also have within the industry, they're competing against folks that talk about data quality, but don't necessarily invest in it, right? And so they've got that extra cost component that they have to factor into their models and then compete. And the other part is that precision I mentioned to you too, Seema. That's really important, right? Because when cost of friction in the process of bringing people on board and recruiting them, cost and friction in terms of you know, removing inventory because of data quality and not being able to, having a big enough panel to fulfill on the requirements of that study. So those are all costs associated that are really, really key. And I think that that's the thing that I think is really amazing is, you know, the ability to deliver that value proposition, you know, that value within that cost requirement is key to this market that, you know, isn't the same for the financial markets. It is not the same, you said. No, well, and and the reason being, right, is their cost to a failure is huge, right? And so, you know, it's easier for them to cost justify huge, huge sums of money. To make the investment into better quality and hence they don't necessarily, people are not looking, well, I shouldn't say they're not looking as closely, but there's more margin there to be able to invest in potentially a more expensive platform to improve quality. Exactly. Got it. Charlie, when you think about our industry and how we're dealing with quality, from your past experience, do you see analogies? Are there lessons that you see or even anecdotes that you could share that apply to this industry and how we're dealing with quality? Yeah, I mean, you know, one of the, the first things that I think I mentioned earlier is when, when I looked at the opportunity with Imperium and I saw the vast amount of data, you know, one of the things that, you know, the previous experiences that I've had, it showed me is that there is patterns in that data. And one of the biggest indicators of somebody's next, you know, behavior is their past behavior, right? And so being able to mine data to find behaviors, right? And a pattern of behaviors allow you to create models, right? That are predictive of, you know, is that indicative of the bad data, right? Or is that indicative of 
you know, the outcome that you were expecting before. In other markets, it's, you know, predictive analytics, right? You know, is those past purchase data going to give me insight into the next purchase? I can tell you that person's behavior was the single most indicative piece of data as to whether what their next purchase decision was going to be. So in this case, we can see with billions of transactions, patterns of behavior that are absolutely indicative of fraud, right? And that's the thing that we've been able to see is it's clear to see, you know, simple things, right? That we were able to mine out very quickly, right? Is with one customer, somebody might look just fine, right? Because they might be a little bit more active than, you know, some of their other respondents and panelists, but it really doesn't hint at, maybe hinting at fraud, but it's not bad data, right? But if you look at those, the pattern of the behavior across the community that we see, you know, you can see literally, we, there was one IP address that took 120,000 surveys in a 48-hour period. That's crazy. And you know that because you can see it across multiple panels that come through the tool. Correct. So now you want to look at those other data elements and model those to say, okay, when A happens, right, when certain thresholds are achieved, what are the other elements that start to look like for us? Right. And are you providing, it's almost like a scorecard, like you have total market and then you look at your own panel behavior and you can understand, you know, how your panel or, you know, groups of people are performing relative to the total Is that something that you share today with clients or is it something that you guys are working on? It's both, right? So it's an ongoing effort. But one of the first things that we're sharing is with all customers as an IP blacklist. Okay, Right. yes. And it's the most um, usable solution across all our customers, right? No matter where you are in the spectrum of, you know, as we talk to our customers, what we've learned is that there are some folks that are pretty far advanced on doing data and machine learning, right? Yes. And so for those folks, love having those conversations because we can be more in a partnership in that conversation around how you could be utilizing the different data elements that come out of the suite of solutions that Imperium offers to help with that precision and where we've seen the impact of those and the benchmarks that we can share without sharing any specific data. We can give people relative benchmarks on how they're performing, right? But one solution that can be used by anybody is a blacklist of, you know, IP addresses that are misbehaving across our community. And, you know, as you might expect, they're coming from the places that you would expect, right? There are hotspots where they're 10 times more likely to be fraudulent, right? So, you know, Egypt, Saudi Arabia, Taiwan... China can be five times more likely to be fraudulent. So, you know, when there, it just means, does it mean 100%? No, it just means it's another data element to look at it. Got it. I mean, data is like candy. You have so much information, like you mentioned, billions of transactions. And it's very powerful in terms of how you navigate and manage companies, manage their own respective panels. It's true. I mean, that's, you know, to your point, it's, I think your point, right? There's also, I took a very, an interesting lesson when I was in high school. Somebody taught me the law of diminishing returns and it made somebody eat M&Ms until the point where they 
because that was his favorite candy, right? There was a point where he didn't like it anymore. Same thing with data, right? It can be overwhelming at the same time, right? And that's certainly where technologies can help you kind of mine through that data. Yes. Charlie, what about other solutions as it relates to improving data quality? You know, we hear a lot about blockchain as a potential solution, and there's some use cases that are happening in the industry that could really you know, as you say, take out the friction in terms of allowing bad data to get into our, you know, traditional surveys. What's your perspective on that? Well, I think, you know, I mentioned that historically I've embraced technology as kind of like a core tenant of my career and truly do believe that there is promise in that technology and how it can be applied. You know, from my perspective, one of the things that as you come into the market research space, what you understand is that there's a very defined value chain in the market, right? And you can, as a customer, engage, you know, across that value chain, right? You could have technology vendors, panelist vendors, full service vendors. And I think it's very important. I think when you look at a market and you try to apply a technology to that market to understand what that value chain is, because those things were created organically. Right? They filled the need that customers had. And so you have to understand how that technology will work within that value chain to become commercially viable and then therefore be able to be utilized across those businesses. So, you know, that's the thing that I think is there's a lot of concerns around how that technology plays, certainly also within a lot of the privacy issues that exist today as well. Yeah, I mean, I guess... There's no doubt that blockchain is valuable, right? It exists in other industries and continues to grow. I think if I understand what you're saying, it's really a question of how does it work within our existing ecosystem, right? And what is the model that kind of allows it to exist and also help with the data quality and respondent engagement? 100% agree. Yeah. So give us some interesting facts that you've learned as you go through all this data. I know you talked about the top hotspots of fraud around the globe. Any other kind of insights that you could share that are quick, that come from your huge repository of data? Yeah, I think, you know, one of the hopeful things too, as I would say, as we look through that as a quick side note, is, you know, we start to look at the contextual nature. We're looking at the responses and seeing where you see some commonality in the answers. You know, two of the most popular words used, hope and joy, at least in this environment, sometimes. we, we <laughs> Is that right? I love that. I thought that was a very cool statistic that I can get boring about the negative side of things we see. Right, right. But I thought it was pretty cool that one of my favorite two most commonly used words were hope and joy. I can also share the most commonly bad used words, but I don't think that's for this audience. We can all hazard a guess or a few guesses and get to it. What are you seeing on average? How many panels takes how many surveys across, you know, multiple panels? I know I've read statistics from six to eight surveys, or they belong to six to eight different panels, I should say, and then obviously take multiple surveys. Can you shed any light there? Yeah, you know, that's one of the things I'd love to, we're still working through that, some of that data too, because I want to make sure that we get that right, because I think that is an important data element for customers. You know, what we do see, right, is you're not going to be surprised by this. Right. Is that there is, you know, we use an IP address, which isn't completely unique, right? But it is the thing that can be used across different customers. 
What you can see is, you know, those IP addresses, the really bad behaving ones are very active across lots of different customers. And so, you know, that's kind of one of the easy benefits of having that blacklist, if that makes sense. Got it. What if we never gave incentives for surveys? Do you think we would be talking about fraud? (laughs) I've thought about that. Like, Well, so actually what's interesting, and this is where I would say in the lead gen space, yes, they don't necessarily offer, you know, a monetary incentive, right? But they do, you know, to get access to content, right? They do offer that as a quote unquote incentive and people still provide bad data just so that they don't have people call them. Right. Yeah. And so what I would say to you is I do think that you'll always have bad data. Now, would you have people, I'm trying to think of the incentive for bots, but what I would say is clearly that's one of the things that I think, you know, when we talk about trying to help our customers, it's not just around, you know, overt fraud activity, but it's also just bad data, right? It's people not really paying attention or taking the time or frankly, you know, you're putting in I'm grand poobah because you know, they think it's funny. <laughs> yeah, you're right. It's that precision that you were talking about. It's not one size fits all, you know, yeah, there's going to be, I don't want to say lazy respondents, but you might not get the sharpest answers, you know, regardless if there's incentive or not. And so that's another area that we probably would be talking about if there was even no incentive offered. Agreed. Charlie, thank you so much for joining me today. I really appreciate it. Well, thank you for having this opportunity. And I'd love to have you back and talk about more information as you mine that huge database that you guys have. All right. (laughs) Thank you. Happy to do that. Take care. Thank you for tuning in to Data Guru's podcast. This episode has ended, but your exploration doesn't have to. Head over to www.dataguruspodcast.com and access all the resources and links mentioned in today's show. You'll also find bonus content available to our podcast listeners exclusively. That's www.dataguruspodcast.com. Until next time, be bold, be brave, and be fearless.